Probably. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, no. That is, yeah, yeah. Mind. Yeah. 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 Anyway. All right. It's episode 13. Actually, let me double check. It's episode 13 of the Technologist Podcast. I'm Larry Burden, and he's the TCAPS EdTech resource with a carbon datable half life. It's the technologist, David Noller. Am I that old already? Carbon <laughs> dating is used for, uh, can you do that with people that aren't like ancient? How long have you been at TCAPS? Uh, this is my 24th year. Yeah, there we go. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, today's topic should you choose to accept it? Resources you're not using. But should be. Yeah. You brought this up last week. And actually, after that, mm-hmm. Danielle came up with the idea or the topic mm-hmm. for uh, tips for new teachers yeah. for the podcast I recorded a few days ago. And I was like, this is the perfect companion sure. podcast. It's like the extended edition. Yeah. And I, I would like to, to start on that note just by saying that uh, for new teachers, if this becomes their habit... This will save them so much time, effort, energy. Um, it will become a convenience for them rather than something that they have to learn new down the road. And well, I always used to do it this way. Um, this is this is a process that is a great convenience for for teachers, especially new ones who um, are, are just establishing their practice and just establishing their habits. The the slate is clean. Yeah. So let's fill the slate. Right. Good wow. stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we did point out um, there is the the new teacher orientation mm-hmm. that the district does, mm-hmm. which is great. Mm-hmm. However, there's so much information that's downloaded yeah. at that time. It's not necessarily all going to stick. I think this is a great time to start yeah. to revisit maybe some of those things that might have been in the orientation. Right. And some extra things that are maybe more specific to their practice. So much of what happens in those early meetings has to do with the daily business of being a teacher. Whereas I think some of the things we talk about have to do with the practice of being a teacher. Yeah. The good and, stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, fire away, sir. I'm, I'm going to save the stuff that uh, is is the, the less exciting stuff for the end. So the, the early thing... It's all exciting. Yeah. It's and all- this is something I had to get some clarity on from Jen Miner, our, our library specialist at West High School. Um, we have a resource called Sora, S-O-R-A, and it is an ebook and audiobook repository where kids can check out ebooks and audiobooks. Generally, there's one copy available. That was the thing I wasn't sure about when I first started looking at it. But we spoke today about this, and there's over 1,100 books available in the collection. Jen is focusing more on the audiobook collection because that's where she sees her distribution. What do you call that in libraries? I think distribution is good. What's the word? Circulation. Better. That's, That's a word. better word. So her circulation numbers are better for audiobooks. They originally purchased uh, ebooks, but they found that kids are more likely to check out an audiobook when they're going on Christmas break, Thanksgiving break, spring break, all these things where they're in the car, they're traveling, or they're just home by themselves or whatever it happens to be. And so in the last 12 months, we've had almost 300 ebooks checked out. We've had 250 audiobooks checked out. 156 different users are checking out these materials through Sora. And I have found that for students who need an extra level of support, who can check out an audiobook version and read along with the physical copy, that can be an effective practice. And not every book that our students are using in classes are available here. And there's only one copy, generally. The availability of audiobooks where kids can 
check it out, um, listen to it in their car, listen to it while they're maybe at, at work or maybe on the beach or maybe riding their bike or whatever it happens to be. This very easy, free way to expose kids to more books is a good thing. We've talked about this in the past. Steffi uh, Light has talked about it mm -hmm. at nauseum. Any way that a student is ingesting content mm -hmm. is good. So right. if you do have a you know uh, some trepidation involving audiobooks or graphic novels or any sure. you know kind of alternative means of accessing information, please dispel that. Sure. Um, you know, literacy has come from being something about reading books to something about being aware of how to read, where read has a little asterisk by it. And that reading might happen on a computer screen when you're playing an RPG game. Can we throw comprehend? How about comprehend? Sure. So graphic novels have tons of text. Uh, just your straight up Marvel comic books have tons of text. Uh, I started playing a game with my friends the other day called Divinity 2. And there's a whole storyline, and you better know the details of the story if you're going to be successful in the 50th hour when you're at the end of the game and you're trying to figure out the whatever is happening. There's tons of reading that goes on in, in video games. And I think we do our kids a disservice when we try to pigeon them, pigeonhole, what's? Pigeonhole. Yeah, that thing. When we do that to kids and say, no, literacy is just books. If you can't smell it, it's not a book. Have you ever heard that thing? I have I not, like to smell my I, books. I, I, I agree, though. I actually do kind of like the smell of them. I mean, it's fine, yeah. but I mean... I don't think that that's what we should base literacy on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And frankly, I've never heard a teacher say that, but... And I would also like to point out, too, what students have recognized is audiobooks are efficient. Yeah. If they're, as you said, driving, they're on mm -hmm. a car, uh, road trip, they're out doing chores, mm -hmm. you throw on the headphones, mm -hmm. they have the headphones on anyway... It's multitasking and similar in a useful way. Similar things happen when you're listening as when you're reading. Like I've, I hear an objection to audiobooks sometimes. Well, it's easy to get distracted. Have you ever read a book <laughs> and not been distracted? But at some point and had to realize you just forgot that entire paragraph you just read and had to go back. So you hit rewind 15 seconds on your podcast player or whatever it happens to be and you start over. I read um, and I notice I use the verb the verb read. I read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea between Traverse City and Chicago last summer, two summers ago when I drove down to visit a friend. I started it in my driveway. I had already had it downloaded. I pulled into my friend's driveway and sat there for a minute while the book finished. I'd never had an opportunity. Let me rephrase that. I'd never taken the opportunity to read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I love science fiction. I love sci-fi. I love old literature. Um, I'd never read it. Checks all it the was, boxes. It was always a thing that was like, eh, maybe later. It was five hours. My trip was about five hours. I got to read that book in my car while I was driving. And I'm really happy that I did. Like that was an exposure that I just would have missed out on if I hadn't done that. Just in terms of what's available, by the way, on Sora. They're categorized by juvenile literature, young adult literature, literature, mysteries, fantasy, sci-fi, historical fiction. They've got authors like Percy Jackson and Stephen King and Delia Owens and John Green and Angie Thomas. Uh, one of our most popular books this year has been The Hate You Give. Well, Dora has The Hate You Give and On the Come Up available. Jody Picoult, Min Jin Lee, Neil Gaiman, Jim Harrison, Frederick Bachman, Jesmyn Ward. So it's not just like Hey, let's get an audiobook version of 
you know, twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Oliver <laughs> Twist. Yeah, you know, I, sorry for the voice, but that's what I think of when I think of Charles Dickens. So it's contemporary lit. It's stuff that kids are are saying they already like, and so let's get them in with some hot titles and some hot authors, and and then ones that we know they love, like Stephen King. They have graphic novels too, like Big Nate. It's this kind of uh, late uh, elementary sort of graphic novel. There's a whole series of books that you find in the shelves in, in bookstores. The kids who read Big Nate often go on to read Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and they've got that too on Sora. So it's a lot of great titles for all sorts of different ages. Uh, it is limited um, so that the books that were originally there selected by elementary librarians are available to our library, or I'm sorry, for our elementary users. Those that were selected by middle school are, have access to those books and the elementary. Those at the high school have access to all three levels. A You're kid, getting developmentally appropriate right. literature to the audience that it's intended for. You said that way better than I was about to. So long story short, Sora gives kids an opportunity to check out books for pleasure reading by interest, by grade level. If there's a book that's not available, they can put it on hold. And when it becomes available, they'll get an email saying, hey, this book is available. Go to Sora to check it out. So it's a great way to improve student access to books and literature in a way that's convenient for them and for their lives and fits in with what they're doing with everything else that's going on. It's a great example of showing that your school library mm -hmm. is not your or your parents' school library. That's right. It is, it is moving very quickly into the second decade of the 21st century. Yeah. You know, truth be told, many of the users who use Sora right now are, are teachers too. We've got a ton of students using it, but we also have teachers who use their accounts to check out a book, to go sit on the beach on their vacations and listen to Jody Picoult novels or Ray Bradbury or, again, Stephen King. This is a resource I did not know about. Yep. I will be checking it I out. I stumbled across it because with no resources available for mythology, I'm trying to find places that do have things for me, which leads us into the next thing that teachers aren't using and should. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So we have the service from Gale. And the the broad the broad search is called Gale Power Search. And Gale Power Search is connected to a number of different databases and it pulls resources from all those different um, databases. And then you can sort through and, and find what you need. But for example, if I'm looking for the Chinese creation myth, information on the Chinese creation myth, I can type that into Gale Power Search and it'll return, here's the academic information. Here's the magazine articles. Here's some books that are available online. Um, here's some video resources for you. Here's some audio resources. And when we think about research, when we think about high school kids doing research or a teacher going and doing research, trying to develop some new idea, where do they usually go first? Google all the time. Okay, Google all the time. <laughs> right. So I, I do this demonstration with my 12th graders when I, when I teach the research project. I said, Google water pollution and surfing. And it comes back and it says 48 million hits, which is pretty typical. Okay, well, let's go to Gale Power Search, water pollution surfing. And it comes back with like 56 hits. And then I asked them, which do you want to sort through? 48 million, 56. How many of these 48 million do you know you can trust? because these have been vetted by professional librarians and academics and university people and everything else. I feel like we can trust them. 
of the 48 million, how many of those are some guy who just took pictures of water pollution and surfing, but that's not going to help with your project, but it was categorized. How that. many research projects have stalled you yeah. know, for, for students because they Googled it? They looked at the first three, mm -hmm. four, maybe even the first page, found nothing useful yeah. in any of those, and were like, I have no resources. That's right. Th that happens in a couple different ways. One is, I can't find anything. That's that's what I You've get heard told. that before? Oh, yeah. I can't, f and I'm like, did you use the Gale Power Search? Well, no, I, I Googled it. Okay, let's try. And then, of course, they'll be like, half a dozen focused articles on exactly what he's looking for. That can take some massaging in terms of how we're searching in the search terms. That's a whole, but that's it, a skill. But yeah. it doesn't take long to get to very useful information. Um, if I had that database to start my career as a teacher, all the research projects we've done in the time since would have been easier. Now, since we've gotten that database, I just ask my kids to trust me. Just go with me for the first couple of days. And if you can't find 15 resources in the first two days, because your topic is just so granular and specific that only a couple of people are talking about it, then let's see what we need to do to go to Google. But in the last three years I did this, I only had one student who couldn't find anything. So Gale Power Search, and then beneath Gale Power Search are a number of different um, databases. The Gale Reference Library, for example, in the reference library, you don't get the opinion pieces, the magazine articles, the newspaper articles. You get essentially encyclopedias, which when you're establishing your topic or trying to get baseline foundational information, that reference library is awesome for that. Um, and that's searchable by, by topic. You can drill down in, in various levels. And those tools as a way to find quick, useful, and relevant information that you don't have to reformat, that with a button you can turn into a printable format and uh, includes the MLA citation within the article. That's a nice one. But boom, it hits all the things we want to be able to do to save time. And uh, develop those research skills that mm -hmm. we were um, hoping to yeah. develop in the students that we're teaching. When I was 16 years old and had to do a research project, I used the card catalog, right? Or I used those, I don't even remember what we Microfiche, called Microfiche, come on. Microfiche, yeah. right? And then we had to figure out how to cite the resource. Today's learners, university people, don't have to learn that because the, the tools that we're using do it for us anyway. My kids shouldn't have to know how to cite MLA citation with uh, an article that has three authors because it's provided by the database. So that's a skill they don't have to spend time learning how to do. You know, it's important for kids to know so they can recognize errors, like author comes first, then title, then title of the resource, date, publication information. But we used to have to know down to the granular level what all those different things were. What is relevant knowledge? There's only so much time that we have with our students. Mm -hmm. We do have to make some decisions mm -hmm. on what, what is relevant knowledge to impart to mm -hmm. them. This um, helps. Yeah. One of the other resources that's available is called Opposing Viewpoints. If you're having your students research controversies. We've mentioned this before. Have you? This is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So we've mentioned it before. Just quickly, 
if you're doing something about a controversy, somebody's already talking about it and they can see what the uh, arguments that have already been made and build off of those. Instead of starting from scratch and having to synthesize all that information, come up with a starting place for the argument, they get the starting place and then they get to clarify and ask clarifying questions and probing questions and discuss what's already been discussed. And this is all under one umbrella in the Gale uh, power search. Yep. And um, those opposing viewpoints, resources will come up in a Gale power search. You just have to know if that's what you're looking for. If you're specifically looking for controversies and discussions, start with opposing viewpoints. If you're looking for resource information, encyclopedic knowledge, that kind of thing, start with the reference library. Awesome. If you just want to cast a wide net, use a power search. Mm -hmm. Get it all. Yep. But not 14 million. Exactly. <laughs> let's let's go with 12, not 24 million. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, anything else? Because I focused on what's available through the library, mm -hmm. those are the two big things. The, you know what? I hear I heard this pod's getting gamey. Are we doing any gamification? We we just did our Monopoly simulation and every year every year it changes, of course. Okay. And this year one of the things I did is I spent, what did it take me? 10, 15 minutes. And every time there was a chance or community chess card and it was already written what was going to happen based on their um, socioeconomic level and other social conditions. Uh, and then we had the hands of fate, which also took about five minutes where everybody played. So the, one of the problems I had last year was that the game was not interactive enough often enough. So the kids were waiting too long. And I recognized that. And so we had the hands of fate. So every once in a while, there would be, oh, the uh, your school's having a field trip to Washington, D.C. It costs $300 to go. Um, you can roll your dice and um, determine how much fundraising you're able to raise on your own. Um, the higher socioeconomic classes had more dice to roll because they tend to live around and work with other people of their social class who have more resources, money available yeah. to spend on things like pie and coffee and pizza and whatever. And the people in the lower statuses had fewer dice. And so, so we did something like that. Um, and some of the kids, some of the families still couldn't make the choice to send their kid. Uh, one group did try to be a philanthropist and help out a family through the role of the dice and fate and things that happened. That family ended up uh, sort of taking advantage of the kindness and the philanthropic group got tired of it and kicked them out. And it was, it was so tied in with so many of the issues that happen within society and reflective of things like structural functionalism and conflict theory as two different ways of looking at sociology that we got to the end and they were they had had fun as the end of the semester assignment i put it in the beginning the middle and the end at the end of the semester it felt like a review and they kept saying well that's just like and that sounds like and that's just like when so they were making connections to what we'd already done to that point. And it's actually going to be the basis of part of their final exam. That sounds like a very useful um, example of gamification. Yeah. If, they're, if they're referencing key points that you're trying to explain in mm -hmm. your lesson planning mm -hmm. through a game, yeah. I think that's the point. The next step is that on each of these cards, because uh, I came upon the idea a little bit late in my planning, I'll admit that, on each of these community chest and chance cards... I'm going to have a statistic and a reference of where that came from to reflect why it says that on that card. That is really interesting because every time they flip a card, 
that is really a teachable moment. Yeah. They're going to read whatever is on that yeah. card. So this year we had to do it as narrative and anecdote. Okay. And next year I want to have stats and things. Anything else? I swear, video games have so much reading in them. Encourage your kids to play role-playing games online. Play games. It's good for you. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right. In closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPSLOOP. At Technologist. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Store, or anywhere else you get your ear candy. Remember, you're never too old to play. Play a game today. It's good for literacy.